This podcast is a Keep Sweden Tidy Foundation production. Hello, plastic-free oceans. This is the podcast where we are following the progress of transforming the market on plastic products and packaging in Sweden, ultimately moving away from taking, making and wasting to a circular plastics economy. I'm Malin Lett and I'm the host and today we'll explore plastic crediting even further. If you want to hear an introduction to plastic crediting and the basics of net circularity, my tip for you is to also listen to the episode Plastics Loop. In this episode, I'm talking to Maggie Lee, lead of the Plastic Waste Reduction Program at Vera, about the importance of plastic crediting standards and the role these standards play in the bigger picture. So I'm thinking about the broader perspective of plastic crediting standards. Um, how are they of importance? It's because that um, these standards actually provide some sort of social safeguard to those people who are actually relying on waste picking as their livelihoods um, depend on it. So there are quite a lot of waste pickers or um, scavengers globally, especially in the global south. And these geographies coincide with the um, plastic pandemic and also marine litter problems. And so we understand that there are a lot of informal sector workers, such as these waste pickers, that um, depend on waste picking. And therefore, we have set aside societal um, safeguards, meaning that if employment is offset by some of these plastic projects that are getting plastic credits from Vera, we will um, ask for these um, projects to create the same amount of employment to offset that um, loss in employment, for example. There are social safeguards to ensure that there's no child labor, and that we're look, we're working on um, with um, many different grassroots organizations and and special um, parts of civil civil society that looks into how to protect um, the human rights of these waste pickers. And so there's quite a lot um, to how to put together a standard that can actually um, guide um, projects and make sure that projects actually create the impact that they're declaring. There's also a mechanism to make sure that there's no double counting because who's to actually say that when you collect one ton of plastic from nature, you're asking a company, let's say if it's a Coca-Cola, to sponsor you for that one ton. Then you maybe you can go to Pepsi and ask them to sponsor again and therefore you can make that um you can make that money from both sponsorships, but only for one ton of plastic recovered. So that's also why um, there's a very um, stringent and um, very robust system in place with these standards is to ensure that there's a third party auditor to make sure that the impact really does happen and it's not being double counted, uh, not double sold to um, two organizations, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so looking at systems change and the leakage of plastics, what can business do? As a business, um, they can actually um, look into reducing all whatever footprint they can within their value chain. But no matter how much they reduce, um, there's no control of how the plastic waste management system is around the world. Let's say if you're a Coca-Cola and that you're selling to more than 180 countries worldwide, are you able to ensure that all the waste management systems um, it, uh, are, are keeping leakage of plastic waste into the environment at a minimal uh, in a minimal um, 
point. There's really no such way of doing that. And as a manufacturing company, Coca-Cola is out of its niche when they're talking about waste management in general. And so that's also why plastic crediting comes in to ensure that um, at a reasonable rate when we're estimating how much leakage is coming out from um, any type of plastic value chain system, we can actually now have very precise and accurate data from all around the world due to the global effort in tracing um, plastic waste in the recent years. Mm, but then um, I'm thinking about how, how does a business account for the plastic used? When we have um, the values from these organizations with regards to their deliberate plastic consumption, which is their plastic use. You can find them most of most of the time in their final product, which is the Coca-Cola bottle that you buy, and also the intermediate plastic consumption that does not happen at the final product stage, meaning, for example, all the syrup and all the different um, containers of, um, of ingredients that they add into the um, to the to the assembly lines and the and the factory, these plastic drums are not being calculated in, when you look at the final product. And so that deliberate plastic use plus a reasonable estimate of the leakage that this value chain results in around the world would actually come up, uh, would actually um, constitute the, um, the final um, total plastic footprint of this entire system that we're looking at. Oh, okay, so how could that then help to reach a net plastic circularity, Maggie? by reducing as much as they could and also making sure that they um, purchase the plastic credits for recovering and recycling plastic waste to the extent that they're actually, their total footprint is, it makes of net plastic circularity. Mm, I come to think about the bigger picture in this. How does the purchasing of credits help in this? Um, the, the purchasing of the credits would in turn help to facilitate the growth of these recovery and recycling projects so that they could be scaled up and so that they could improve in efficiency, hire more people, create more jobs, ensure that the local communities are being compensated for whatever they're collecting, for example. So quite a lot of these projects are eligible for um, for these plastic um, credits. Oh, okay, so what makes a project eligible? To, to be um, eligible for for instance one criteria out of many one criterion out of many must be met and this is additionality what additionality means is that this project must improve the status quo it must actually better the current status meaning that if you are a curbside recycling um, recycler or if you collect recycling for your community with curbside collection if you actually are just running the operations as you have done so for the past two, three decades, you're not actually eligible for the Vera plastic credits. However, if you have some sort of additionality, meaning that you're improving status quo, maybe there is some sort of a sorting or some sort of a collection mechanism that can boost the recycling or collection rates, for example. So they, these mechanisms would be um, eligible in terms of being additional. So we would go through a very stringent process of evaluating whether these projects are eligible and that a third party auditor will be there to actually verify this and um, produce a report. And after that, plastic credits could be generated by these projects and could be sold to any interested buyer. And so therefore, plastic crediting is not a greenwashing mechanism. It is quite the opposite. We also try to facilitate extended producer responsibility schemes. Mm. Maggie, do you have any examples of the application of EPR schemes and plastic crediting? 
um, some of these schemes around the world, especially the ones in the United Kingdom and also the one in Poland and now the one in India, they specify explicitly that plastic credits could be bought by manufacturers to satisfy the requirements that they have in the extended producer responsibility schemes. Sometimes these extended producer responsibility schemes are not called um, EPR. Sometimes they could be called producer responsibility schemes, but they are very similar in nature, meaning that when a company, let's say if it's Coca-Cola again, when they produce uh, a plastic bottle or a can of Coke, then they actually have to actually charge a few more cents at retail level, just so that um, the, the, the cost of recovering that packaging is actually included in the price that you pay for, for this item. So this is actually the case with many parts of Europe. And if you live in Europe, you're probably no stranger to this deposit return scheme. Same as me, who um, like I grew up in Canada, and this is actually very much the case. So um, unfortunately, the deposit return schemes or even extended producer responsibility schemes are not yet the norm around the world. We are still looking at um, facilitating the growth of many EPR systems around the world right now as we speak. And um, how is plastic crediting then connected to the polluters pays concept? So the one in India, as men- I mentioned, that is actually... Um, allowing for plastic credits to satisfy the um, manufacturer's requirements uh, for extended producer responsibility, that's actually one of the key markets that um, plastic credits could be used to facilitate this circularity and to ensure that producers pay for the pollution that they create. This is a very simple action of polluters pays um, concept. And so plastic credits have many, many applications and we look forward to um, having it as an integral part of jumpstarting the dying recycling industry Because after COVID-19, there are 40% of recyclers in Southeast Asia alone that may actually face um, risk of closing down. This is coming from a report that was published uh, about a year ago, and that uh, this is a very stark reality of how COVID is actually affecting the waste management scene with um, with mobility um, uh, inhibited and also quite a lot of restrictions with traveling. So that's also why... um, there's uh, an opportunity for plastic credits to actually come into play, especially when they operate in a different geography. Um, There is a chance that there could be more net circularity um, possible through plastic credits. Wow, thank you so much for joining the interview, Maggie. Do you have any last thoughts to share with us regarding the future? I hope this was informative for you, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more plastic circularity uh, coming from all over the world. And um, this is definitely not a solution that will close the case for plastics. We will continue to make sure that um, post-consumer plastic waste does not become the the current problem it is. And that hopefully in the future, I'll drive myself out of business because if we're successful, technically we wouldn't be needing any of these measures after all. Once EPR is in place, once um, we do understand how how to jumpstart recycling again, then um, hopefully we will actually have a total circular Uh, system for plastics and therefore um, we wouldn't be needing to talk about this anymore and I really look forward to that day. This episode was all about plastic crediting standards. If you want to learn more about how plastic crediting standards are applied in a circular plastics economy, listen to the episode Plastics Loop and also check out the roadmap. You'll find the link in our show notes.
If you have any questions or reflections you want to share with us, send them in a text or as a voicemail to oceanalliance at hsr.se.